And welcome to Civil Discourse. I'm Jamie Wojciechowski. And I'm Marilyn Brown. And today we are discussing it's not it's okay to not be okay. And Marilyn has a quote for us, so we'll start with that. I do. So the quote I have is from one of my favorite um, writers, psychologists, researchers, Brene Brown. So this quote is, um, you are imperfect, you are wired for struggle, but you are worthy of love and belonging. Well, I just love uh, Brene Brown in general because... She's one of the few people that I think are actively talking about empathy and emotion from a, a non-judgmental point of view. Uh, she never judges emotions as good or, or bad or right or wrong. She just really judges them for how they make us feel and the experiences they, they push us through and uh, lead us to. Um, which I think I think is the importance of just this idea that it's okay to not be okay. And I've been seeing it a lot lately because I've been dealing with uh, a lot of death and being around a lot of people who are just grieving and just seeing the the importance of allowing ourselves to grieve in, in that context. Because I see a lot of people really try to fight the feelings that they're having because I mean they're they're uncomfortable they're they're painful feelings but I think they're hard to to really cope with unless we're able to embrace them and we're wired to feel these things for a reason I think that's important to remember yeah yeah I I I think that her work, she really focuses on, well, and she, she did so much research on vulnerability and why it's important to be vulnerable and what we learn from being vulnerable and how we connect. And, and so she really comes from, like you said, a very non-judgmental place where she's really just looking at what are these emotions communicating? And, um, you know, it's interesting that you bring up this, this, it's okay to be okay in the context of, of people grieving loss, because I've actually had it come up in people grieving a loss of a relationship and trying to fast forward past the grieving stage of that, having, you know, wanting to kind of just be okay already and, and, you know, feel like I, you know, if it was a long breakup or something like that, I dealt with all of this stuff over however long um, this was happening. And so now just kind of wanting to speed past all of those feelings and then being frustrated with themselves when they um, struggle, when something is mm -hmm. emotional, when something is triggering, judging the self. And so then all this self-judgment comes in and, and, and just reinforces that negative pattern and doesn't allow us to actually incorporate the, what, what these emotions are trying to teach us. Um, and so when we, when, when we're in an environment where we don't have a support system where we feel like we, it's okay to, to, to be not okay, um, or we're judging ourselves and mentally we, we create an environment where we feel like it's not okay to be okay, then I think that that's where a lot of times grief turns into other things and kind of turns into trauma and we're not able to like move through the emotions because 
you know, I tell my clients this, every emotion has a beginning, middle and an end. But a lot of times we, we hold on to things. And so we kind of don't let them dissipate in their natural way, or we avoid things and don't let them and don't allow ourselves to process them in their natural way. So, um, yeah, so that quote really just kind of stuck out for me of just recognizing that like we are, we're, we're wired to, to struggle. <laughs> we're, we're, that's part of being human. And we're also wired to belong and to connect and, and, and wired for love. And that's also just as much a part of us. Right. And it's, it's this mindfulness concept of ego, right? You, you talked about loss of relationship. And I think that is really the, the connector between if, if you're grieving or, or sad or upset because of a death or because of a loss of relationship, or because you expected something that didn't happen. These are all variants of loss. Those yeah. emotions yeah. all come out of feeling loss. Right. And I think that that's important to remember, um, specifically in a, a mindfulness practice, because I think one of the things that has been challenging for me within kind of the, the spiritual realm that mindfulness comes to is the unattachment, right? And there's this ideal of wanting to be unattached to all things and, right. and to be free from that attachment. And I think in my own journey, what I've learned is that is the ideal, right? That is an ideal idea to keep us kind of free from being controlled by our emotions. But as a human living in the world that we do, I think just having an awareness of the things we're attached to in those moments we feel loss allows us to really learn from it and allows us to, to feel things because a lot of that too is you have to you have to look at well what's right for me right and i think there's for me there's a lot of power in feeling things deeply and allowing myself to feel things in the moment where if i were to detach from everything and just kind of not care as much it it that goes away and i think it's also a, a misconception within kind of buddhism and, and mindfulness in that it's almost like an, an oxymoron in a, in a way of saying, well, we're trying to be detached, but at the same time, if we were detached, we wouldn't be practicing because right. we're attached to the practice. So just by being human, there's, there's a, an attachment, I think bringing mindfulness to it and asking ourselves, what are we attached to? Why what's important in attachment? What's not mm -hmm. is what, allows us to kind of re remain mindful and, and experience things in the moment and the way we're feeling in the moment. Right. Right. Yeah. And no, I think that, that, that ability to recognize something as a loss and to, to identify it as a loss and like honor that be, be aware of that is so important in the process. And I think that like, there's, there's, you know, everybody, every, every culture, every, every kind of environment that you can be in, I think that there are kind of 
rules about what maybe is considered a loss and what's, you know, you just don't really pay attention to. And so I think there's a lot of things that we're just kind of used to seeing as a loss. And so a lot of times people will check in with you a lot about it, um, you know, when there is a, a, a death in the family or something like that, or you lose someone that you care about, people tend to kind of be aware of that and, and, and check in and identify that as a loss and also for the self. And I think that that helps us to be able to process it and allows you to say, okay, maybe I need to, you know, um, do something to work through this, whether it be going to grief therapy, whether it be working, you know, whether it be getting together with family members and talking about that person together and kind of connecting. But there's also this, this struggle that I think there's so many things that are losses that we don't, give credit to or the the awareness to that that I think that that's really a struggle and so a lot of times I'm kind of helping people when they come into me someone will, will be judging themselves and saying oh you know um I don't know what's wrong with me I'm just really feeling really sad right now and then I'll start to talk to them and find out that like you know maybe they lost or changed their job recently they maybe had some physical stuff going on some kind of health things um, basically just lots of different stressors that we struggle with and not recognizing that all of those things, you know, especially change in career, for example, or, or role can feel like a loss and can be a loss that you need to actually recognize and grieve and like, okay, you know, this is, this is new. I, I, this is something that affects my identity. Um, and so I think that's kind of also part of it's okay to not be okay is that I think that our culture doesn't really promote that idea very well. And so we kind of, we kind of expect people, we, we give people permission to not be okay about certain things, but expect people to be like, you know, totally um, tough on mm -hmm. other things. And, and, and we define what that looks like for other people rather than allowing people to kind of come to us and say, you know, I, this is what's going on. And I just, I'm struggling, you know, or, or this is what I'm dealing with. There's a lot of, well, you know, you don't, what's, why are you anxious? What do you have to be anxious about? You know, things like that, that I think create a struggle for people to even feel comfortable sharing and, 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 and doing the work that actually is what helps us get through those things and, and integrate the learning from whatever it is and the emotions that we're feeling to be able to move through it. Right. And I think too, the, the other thing I'd like to point out is Yes, it's okay to not be okay, but it's also unhealthy to be controlled by or to be stuck in mm -hmm. not being okay yes. and not knowing how to, to get out of it. For me, not being okay is the same as being okay, right? You're, the ideal from a mindfulness perspective is that you're experiencing the moment, moment by moment. So mm -hmm. if in this moment, you're you're grieving you allow yourself to feel that deeply but in the next moment if it nurtures a, di a different emotion or something else happens you're allowing yourself to feel what you're feeling and, and embrace that moment fully as opposed to still being stuck in mm -hmm. the previous moment and i think that's where the i think that's where the the divide is between kind of healthy coping and yeah. and unhealthy coping right yeah, yeah, I think that is really important to point out. And I think that like when you when you pay attention to it and, and you're you're addressing it from a mindfulness perspective, I think it kind of helps to to manage that, right? Because it's keeping you it's keeping you in the moment. And so it's keeping you addressing what's going on in that moment rather than, 
you know, rather than kind of deciding or, or trying to force yourself in, into one way. And so you can allow it that once you process that emotion and you've now dealt with it, that you can move on. And so it allow. I think I, I really feel like my mindfulness practice has allowed me to be able to move on to the next thing when it's time, because I'm not, I'm not attaching. I'm not continually forcing myself over the same struggles. And, and also with that constant awareness and curiosity of like, okay, now what's this moment teaching me? What's, what's going on in this moment that I can integrate into everything else that I've learned. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that is important because, because we often will get, you know, as, as humans, because we, we struggle, I think we do get stuck and that it gets easy to kind of generate the same energy and not really let an emotion run its course, but kind of continue to engage in either behaviors or thought patterns that keep reinforcing that same pattern. Right. Yeah. You, you brought up earlier too, I think the societal norms and, and judgments around this are important because I feel mm -hmm. just in my observation of people recently kind of dealing with not being okay is they seem to be very affected by how society thinks they should be grieving or how much they or how they should be feeling uh so they they feel like they should be very upset when maybe at where they're at they're not or they they feel like they're being too upset and that they're influencing other people and they don't want to be doing that. So I think there's an intricate, uh, there's, it's just an interesting thing to see because I feel then you're kind of trying to control your emotions. And then I think that trying to control your emotions makes it so it's easy, harder to later, I think, move on to the next moment. It, it gets you kind of stuck in, because it's it's ego, right? So you're thinking, oh, I have to feel this way because I'm being judged or I'm supposed to based on what society tells me, what I've learned. And then you kind of force yourself to stay there. And a lot of times it's subconscious the way you're doing it. But then I see people unable to get out because of that pressure, uh, that external pressure that they're putting on themselves to feel a certain way. Right, right. And it's, it's that if you're, if you've decided to rather than allow how you feel to inform you and you've decided to try to control how you feel, it's like there's no either way, it's really ineffective because if you do it in a way where you feel like you did it wrong, then you constantly are getting stuck and want to go back to, oh, I messed up. I didn't do it right that time. What's wrong? Why didn't I do it right? Or if you feel like you did do it perfectly and you like perfectly controlled your emotion in that moment, then you're still continually trying to get back to that place. And so it's like you, you're either way, you're still trying to control it. And mm -hmm. so it's, it creates that stuck point rather than just being able to be like, this is how it, this is how I felt just being able to put words to it. I felt this, you know, this was the emotion and, and, and just define it and maybe just leave it at that. But I think you're right that there's this this place where once we've let either others define it or, or the societal norms or our own thoughts about it, then we're constantly kind of trying to control that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think one thing that's important, because I think it's hard, we can't we can't avoid 
we can't avoid outside environments, right? We can't avoid friends and family and coworkers and society's kind of ideas around emotions and judgment. But I think that there, you know, there is a way to do that internal work so that you're able to have healthier boundaries or, or, or stronger boundaries with your environment and not let the environment sway how you feel about your own behavior. So I'm not saying it's going to stop people from judging you. You know, people are going to judge you. People, we, we judge, we judge everything. We judge each other. Like that's not going to stop, but how it affects you and how you absorb that is you, you have control over that. And so the more kind of internal mindfulness work that you do and kind of being able to recognize and, 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 and accept your own emotions and work through them in a way that works, I think you're able to manage the environment in a way where it's not permeating your belief system. Right. And I think finding a, a place where you feel safe to, to feel whatever it is you're feeling without having to control, without worrying about judgment is important and that can be a a retreat that can be just going off on your own and into the woods that can be finding someone who's gone through something similar to what you've gone through and that you feel comfortable with i mean there's a lot of different ways to do it but i think that that for a lot of people seems to be the first step because if they're not in a, a safe space where they feel comfortable it it's just very difficult to try to do the internal work um, because you're dealing with the, you're dealing with external factors and your own uh, perception of, of judgments as opposed to being in a place where you're, you're, you're comfortable and just feel relaxed and able to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think that you have to have a safe space to, to be able to do that work. And, 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 and I think any work at any level, there has to be, you know, the environment has to, if the environment is working against you, then, you know, that's how we kind of end up stuck and running on this, what oftentimes can feel like a hamster wheel of like dealing with the same stuff over and over again is because I think the environment, though you're doing a lot of work, there's environmental things that are making it unsafe and, and, and kind of, undercutting the work you're doing. So I think you're right that it's important to find and, and create that find seek out, I guess is what I want to say. Cause you can, you know, find that out outdoors. Like you said, you can find that connecting with other people, but finding a way to seek out what's going to feel like a safe container for you to, to process some of this and do some of this work is really, really important. Right. And I think too, it's, it's interesting because this is on a, a much smaller scale, but just as an actor and as, as a person, people all often tell me, and it's very weird because it's people that I don't think know me very well, or I don't really discuss my feelings or deep parts of my life with, mm-hmm. will make comments about how uh, they wish they could be as confident and not let things bother them the way I do. And it's 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 interesting the perception of, of judgment from people watching uh things because I'll just give give a really mundane example of just going into an audition and I have a bad audition and I come out and 
I allow myself to feel what I felt and kind of analyze it. And then I'll go get a coffee and I'll enjoy my coffee and then I'll go do whatever activity I have at night and enjoy that. And I kind of get over it really quickly because I'm in the moment. And to people watching, they often perceive it as, oh, well, you must not have cared or how did you not let that bother you or mm. and that internally I allowed myself to feel that feeling. I just didn't hold on to it. Right. Right. Once I felt it and embraced it, I was able to feel the next thing and, and moved on. And I think it, it's important to know there's a there's a difference between what we're doing for our internal work and what's being perceived externally by others. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that, that is a very important point. And because you've been, you've been doing this internal work for a very long time, like over a decade, right? You've been. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and so, so for others to look on the, on the outside looking in, it looks like, Oh wow. You know, he's, he, things don't bother him. He can just kind of shrug everything off. But for you, this has been a process of working on doing in the internal work to get to a place where you're able to move through and really genuinely be mindful in your life. And it, and that takes time. And I think I really um, have to stress this to myself <laughs> um, that it takes time. You know, you can spend hours and hours and hours meditating and practicing, but it still takes time to, to have that create, um, I won't even say where it's easy. Cause I don't know that you're saying that it's easy. You're just saying that you're able to kind of internally do it. I think that like, for me, it's important to kind of keep in mind. And I think for a lot of us who want to get to the destination quicker, that it, it's not like you can just practice this for a month and then nothing bothers you or you or you look like nothing bothers you <laughs> from the outside looking in we still are wired to react to things and it takes practice and 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 time of practicing this and practicing it in your life in other ways not just sitting on the cushion but practicing mindfulness and how you live and and an ability to kind of be I, we're kind of circling back around to detachment but kind of working on that concept oh, of detachment before you can uh oh I think go ahead sorry okay it's all right um yeah. work on that concept of detachment before you can actually be detached right you know and so it, and just for me like hearing you say that that's like you know wow that's pretty cool and it takes time to get there and you're still doing the internal work it's not like you don't have the emotions you've just it's practice you know uh, so what I was going to say was that in it's a double-edged sword, right? So one is we were talking about uh, me being able to get over things, I guess, easily, or, or I think live more moment to moment and feel things in the moment and, and being able to move on and not getting stuck into uh, negative emotions, right? And... I think what really helped me do that is, I mean, just saying it sounds oh so easy, but I've really intentionally set up systems to allow me to do that. So mm -hmm. as much as I can for bringing the example back to going on an audition, I kind of have a, a ritual that after my audition, I always go get a coffee and then I'll normally do some kind of pr practice after, whether it's meditation or go to a class I enjoy or do something that's for me and kind of separate and it allows me to have those moments to transition 
and not linger in whatever the emotion was from the audition and that it's it's interesting with auditioning because I, I think it's a good example of not getting stuck in an overly what we would call a positive emotion or negative emotion because mm-hmm. sometimes uh, I'll have a great audition and then there'll be so much excitement around it that I need to do something to release that energy so I have mm-hmm. systems in place that allow me to do that and the same system allows me to move on if it was a bad audition so and i mean that took years to develop what what worked what didn't but i think those the the systems are what have really helped me be able to be more mindful in a, a world that's often counter to mindfulness yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and like the systems are important but also your willingness to not even just your willingness, your curiosity about what works, because like you said, this took practice. You didn't set up this system at the beginning. This, this took time to develop for you. And so you had to try things and, and be curious with with yourself to try not get stuck. If something didn't work, maybe that you heard from somebody else that was going to be this great way to deal with it. Um, And so you had to have that, which I think mindfulness really teaches us that curiosity about whatever that next moment is going to teach you which allowed you to get to a place where you have a system that really, really is very effective, no matter how the audition went. Right. Which is really cool. But it's like that, that willingness to go back and kind of do the trial and error. And I think like we, that we get stuck in like, I want this to be the thing that works and I want it to work this way. And then, and other people said it was going to work. Maybe this is what other people do. A lot of times we compare and try to find, information from others to figure out what's going to work and then we get like really stuck on something and then if it doesn't work we maybe keep trying the same thing over and over again even though everything is telling us this isn't effective and so again with mindfulness it teaches you to to take in the information of that moment and then move on and 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 develop it and kind of curate it from there and so you're not going to keep doing the same thing that doesn't work and you continue to feel miserable with it like you're going to be willing to to keep trying and and develop something that's for you Right. And two, I mean, it's it's a journey, right? So there's always more work to do and there's always new obstacles to overcome. And what is often difficult for me is that I am perceived to be uh, more stoic than the average person. So Mm -hmm. then people often don't realize that I do feel things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I... A lot of times there's situations where people don't realize that I'm I'm still kind of a vulnerable human being. Right. So it's just, it, it changes the, the interaction. So either I'm feeling something and, and could use uh, someone to help move that energy and that person, and there's not really anyone around me that's comfortable or used to seeing me that way, or right. uh, people are less sensitive two things around me and and say mm-hmm. things that they normally wouldn't to other people because they perceive I won't be bothered by anything. So mm-hmm. it's it's I mean, I'm not it's it's not me complaining, but it's it's just it brings up there's always different kind of things you're working on when mm-hmm. you're adjusting your journey mm-hmm. in comparison to every everybody else and and the paths that inter interconnect as as you move forward. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I think that is 
something that does. I think that that happens with you um, because of just personality, you know, because, because of people mm -hmm. perceiving you in that way. And, and then I think also depending on your role and what role you're in or what role you have been in that same kind of dynamic can happen. And I think like, even when that happens, being mindful about it is being able to say, well, what is this teaching me? What am I learning about how I'm perceived in the world based on this? And what am I learning about these interactions, you know, based on that, you know, I can see that people say things around me that they might not say, you know, and so even just being curious about that part of it and not attaching to creating a reason why, you know, because I think that if, if we weren't being mindful, then it could be, well, maybe people just think I'm you know, I don't know, it will fill in the blank of whatever, you know, your mind might decide is that judgment rather than just being able to say, oh, this is interesting. Right. You know? Yeah. I think, too, is also part of being, at least in my journey, is realizing how people, I think that for me, the importance of realizing how people react to me is so that... Uh, I don't want to say so that I know what to expect, but I mean, I analyze that and I know that I come off that way. So I mm -hmm. also know that if I am struggling, I have to reach out. I, I'm not the kind of person yes. who can expect people to see it on my face and, and, and just get it. So if I do, if I am in a situation where I say I need to talk to someone, I know that I have to be the one to reach out. And there's no judgment on that whatsoever. I just okay. know that if I don't if I don't say something, I'm not going to get the help I need. So if I need the help, I'm going to say something. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a really important. It's a good point to make, and I think that that's you know that kind of going back to the to the to the quote at the beginning about it about us being okay to not be okay. Um, when you can ask for help, that's you, that's you being okay to not be okay. Right. The being safe to tell the people and, and let them know, you know, this is what I need. This is what I'm going through or, or not even, this is what I need, but this is what I'm going through. Or I need help or whatever it is to reach out rather than expecting to, the environment to know um, and reach out to you. And I think that the more we can kind of foster this idea of like, it's okay to not be okay. And let's talk about it. You know, it's okay to not be okay. So come to me when you're not okay. I don't need you to, we don't have to all constantly walk around in our masks and pretend like everything is, is wonderful because, you know, it's life and that things are happening and we're struggling. So the more you can find spaces and environments and people where you feel comfortable being able to be, you know, what you maybe I put what you think is your best self <laughs> and also what you might judge as your worst self and be able to put those both um, out there. I think that's where we really are able to grow and, and also feel that connection. And, you know, it's one of those things that like, um, working in mental health over the years, a lot of times when I would work in programs, people would get really, 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 really close. Um, and, and sometimes develop lifelong friendships with the people that maybe they were in program with for two weeks or maybe for a month or something. And, and a lot of times parents would be like, Oh, what's going on? This is kind of weird. Like they're telling this person everything. They don't even tell their closest friends who they've grown up with. And they said, you know, this is like the, the concept of war buddies. Um, that when we're in, you know, when we're vulnerable, when we're in difficult situations, when we let our guards down around to the people around us, like that's when we actually really get close and really, really can connect. And so 
Um, you know, not saying that people like every relationship that somebody or friendship someone develops in a program is going to be the most helpful, but just recognizing that people do get really, really close because when we're vulnerable, um, that's how we connect. And so, you know, I think that that's an important point that, that, you know, a lot of times people will tell me that they feel like they have a lot of people around them, but no one that they can talk to, you know, no one that they can really talk to. And I think it's because we oftentimes have a lot of relationships where we're really afraid to be vulnerable and to really be our, our full selves in, in front of people. Right. And I think too, it, and with relationships, I think, and, and feeling comfortable is I feel a lot of people kind of see relationships dualistically and they put it mm. into categories of they don't know people well enough to feel comfortable to open up or the people that they know there's so much baggage and so much history that, yeah. And, and they perceive so much judgment because of that history that they're not comfortable. And they're really, so when they find someone who who is vulnerable with them and that they can be vulnerable with in, in, a, in a program or in something short term where it's that intense and there is no kind of life baggage to the mm-hmm. relationship, um, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's why a lot of those relationships kind of develop that way. And I mean, I, I see it even in, I mean, mm-hmm. as an, as an actor, like there's tons of, tons of parts I played where the person I'm interacting with most, uh, there's really no, nothing develops, but then there's roles where I'm really into the role and, and the other person's really into the role and, and we're just connecting on an emotional level with each other and with the characters and, and something grows there that's beyond what typically happens and i think it's just because we we allowed ourselves to be vulnerable and related to each other and and what we were going through and what we were trying to do more and the the last thing uh, i well maybe the last thing i'd like to talk about is uh, bringing up dualism and i think the other important thing and and a huge breakthrough for me was starting to think of things non-dualistically right so we have this idea of it's okay to not be okay. And we put these into two different categories of you're okay. And then you're not okay. And the reality is, is every human being is both okay. And not okay. In every moment, right? There's part we're complex human beings who feel, we don't just feel sad. We don't just feel happy. We're feeling complex emotions based mm-hmm. on a bunch of stimulus and things happening. So uh, it, it really helped me be both compassionate with myself when I realized in every moment, I'm finding a balance between that. And so is everyone else. And yes, sometimes I'm much more not okay than I am. Okay. And sometimes I'm a lot more okay than I am not okay, but Mm -hmm. it's the journey is trying to find a a balance. I think is what we intentionally, I think that's the place where we tend to thrive and want mostly to be. Um, And yeah, I just, that was a big breakthrough for me was when I started viewing things in that way, instead of this or that, and it's right. this and that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, I really, I think that's one of the, that's one of those breakthrough concepts that I think can help a lot of people is just recognizing, because we look at so many things very dualistically. I'm okay, I'm not okay, you know, every, we, we want to put everything in a very black and white, and most things are, are shades of gray, you know, and so I'm constantly telling my clients, you got to find a way to live in the gray. And I think that this is another way that we can recognize that like, yeah, I'm okay. And I'm also not okay. And that's okay. 
you know, and just being able to kind of to 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 not again just to let go of the 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 judgment. I think that defining I'm okay or I'm not okay. Well, both of those are judgments. How about I'm just here? Let me just be here, you know. And so, kind of just pulling away from any of the judgments. Right, and I think too, once you realize that that is the state of really all things, the mm-hmm. judgment falls away easier mm-hmm. because yeah. I mean, there's nothing to judge; it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, you. I guess you could be upset with things being the way they are, but it's really out of your power to control it. And I think, right. well, I I know you're you'll people end up causing themselves more uh frustration and more anger and and more pain Mm -hmm. by trying to control things that are out of completely out of their control and countering kind of the way nature is right takes a lot of energy to do that there's there's a lot that's expended when we're fighting against the what is right yeah so, do we have homework? Do you uh, think? I don't know. I mean, I guess the the homework. Uh, I I don't necessarily think this is a sharing homework, but I think just uh, taking the time if if you have a meditation practice or when you close your eyes to go to sleep before you fall asleep or when you wake up in the morning, just to to kind of analyze where you're at and where you're okay and where you're not okay. And then just telling yourself it's all okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and see if that. that, if that uh, starts to affect your ability to kind of uh, be more present in, in the moment. Yeah. I like that. And then also just to, to add on to that as kind of that, that secondary piece to check in with yourself and ask, where am I able to be vulnerable in my life? You know, whether it be where, meaning who, you know, certain relationships or what, what spaces do I have or do I have a safe container to be vulnerable mm-hmm. um, and just kind of checking in with that. Because yeah. I think whether you're, whether you, you know, depending on what you decide, whether you're okay, whether you're not, whether you're both all at the same time, having that space to be vulnerable is, 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 is important. Right. And if you analyze, if you, if you look within yourself and, and think about it and, find that you really don't feel like you do have a safe space to be vulnerable uh just i I guess the homework would be to try to find a way to begin to reach out to find that place Mm -hmm. and think about what kind of place you would ideally love to have uh, Mm -hmm. that would allow you to feel that way and then start putting the systems in place to finding that place yeah, I love that. Awesome. awesome. And I actually, I have one more quote from Brene Brown that I would love to share to end. Do it. All right. <laughs> we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Hmm. I have another homework assignment. Everyone should watch uh, her I, I think she has multiple. Well, one of her TED talks. All of yeah. them amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Got one on shame. She has one on vulnerability. They're all great. So awesome. check out Renee Brown for sure. Yeah. And we'll and see you next week. 
Yep, and join us on our Facebook group, Civil Discourse and Mindfulness Podcast. Have a good one.